It's week four, and this is Stat Chasing. We'll take you through all the usual charts and talk about the curse of the B teams. Why do the Broncos, the Bears, the Bengals, and the Browns suck so bad? Did the Bills steal all their mojo for all B teams in the league? Find out this and more on Stat Chasing. Pat Fryer Helmo. <laughs> this is what? This is what? I'm hot. Anita Han- Hanjob. Fix your sight. Jamar. Alpha play chase. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Are you You can't handle the heat. He looks like we're finally at this point. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Good evening, Drico. Hope you're doing well on this uh, lovely. I hope you didn't use all your prep time thinking of that intro, Zach. No, that one. uh, (laughs) That was was off the cuff, man. We're uh, we're just going off the top of the dome here. Um, (laughs) How uh, how was week four for you? Um, pretty good. Pretty good. Obviously, a little bit down to to reality or or back down to earth for Laporta. one of my higher exposure players, uh, a Chan continuing to put up uh, great numbers, so that that's a, a big boost. And um, tracking about 20, 22, 23 percent advance rate uh, quarter way through, which for considering all the young players I draft, like I've I've never been that uh, that high, um, the start of the year. So that's a that's a great start for me. Yeah. How about yeah. you? Uh, it was. The week four, I, I definitely came back down to earth. A lot of my uh, my players that had been running really hot earlier, and I, I had some absurd advance rates earlier. I was like over 50% in the big board, which base rate for big board is 25%. That's three of 12, but still being 50% is absurd. And then best ball mania is always like high 20s and low 30s. And I think in week three, I was like low 30s or something when I had some crazy stuff go off. I think the Achan game kind of boosted me up a bit there. This week, I'm back down to like 25% across the portfolio between uh, FFPC, Underdog, DK. So pretty pretty pleased with uh, with the 25%. That's that's not counting the uh, wonky advance rate stuff where you get like the three, three of 12 advance or more than that. Um, right, right. Just in the normal advance rate structure stuff. Yeah, yeah. It was a uh, it was an interesting week for some of the players that I was most excited for. Some of my highest exposure guys, but I'm sure we'll uh, we'll get into all those here during the charts. Yeah. Uh, so that's a uh, that's a pretty firm instruction for me to uh, to get into these. Um. So we're we as always we start off with our QB uh, passing. In. Efficiency and rushing production. Um, so horizontal axis, we've got adjusted yards per attempt. Um, pretty straightforward. The adjustment is to uh, boost touchdowns and um, uh, take away for our punish uh, interceptions. Um, so pretty intuitive, like how well are they throwing the ball per attempt. Um, we've got a touchdown rate, uh, pretty straightforward. And then the size of the bubble of each player is their uh, their rushing uh, yards per game with this one over here and being represented about what 100 yards a game uh, would look like uh a lot of a lot of the guys are hanging out near you know where they were in previous weeks right Tua, Tua is still you know blazing the trail as the most efficient quarterback you know the 
looking like a, a very desirable quarterback to have in best ball and, uh, you know, excited about his prospects going forward. Josh Allen had his, uh, his nuclear week that we were all waiting for this week and uh, got himself moving in the right direction on the charts. Um, one that I, I thought was really interesting and really, I guess, we, we can talk about these two in tandem because they're in a pretty similar spot for adjusted yards per attempt. But that's Baker Mayfield and Josh Dobbs. Uh, though Both of them were entirely free in, in best ball drafts all summer. You know, Baker got drafted at least some. Josh Dobbs, I don't think, got drafted hardly at all. I haven't looked at uh, at the underdog data on, on who was actually Right, there, there's Dobbs. no chance he's drafted. Just because he wasn't he, he wasn't even on the Cardinals until like two weeks before the season. But obviously lots of drafts do happen in that two weeks. So if you were in any uh Superflex drafts, uh, may, maybe particularly the uh Superflex two on FFBC, with the benefit of that news, uh, and and you were taking dubs, that that's a clear, clear smash there. Yeah, the interesting thing about Dobbs is if you look at the size of his uh, data point here he's he's rushing a good bit right like he's he's rivaling Jalen Hurts um, you know not quite to the level of Anthony Richardson or Lamar Jackson but he is a quarterback where rushing is a part of his game um, so that's very right. intriguing definitely a guy that I'm interested in in resurrection uh, assuming that he's yeah 280 p okay very clear priority target there right yeah, I, I would be smashing that. I, I feel pretty confident the market corrects that ADP. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. And really what you're playing for with him there is you're just saying Kyler doesn't get healthy this season. Or if he does, like, they just don't play him. Um, and it's that's risky. Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. That's a great point. I forgot about that. I forgot <laughs> yeah, it's, about it's, it's risky to play into that. But, I mean, these are giant field lottery-style tournaments. Like, you're going to have to take some risk. And I, I think what you get from drafting Dobbs at his ADP is well worth the risk, you know, in that, in those outcomes where he's playing the whole season for you, that's awesome. Now he does fall into that category of, he does have a slightly higher than, you know, definitely a higher than average chance of not playing the most meaningful weeks. So I'm probably not wanting a huge exposure to Dobbs in a resurrection portfolio, but I definitely think it's a guy worth taking some shots on. Yeah, um, would you, and now that this is apart, apart from the point of stock chasing, but would you ever consider, so Kyler Murray, he's going to pick 170. Would you ever combine those into one uh, team, or is, do you think that's just overthinking things? No, i just do one or the other. I think you could take some Kyler teams if you think that he's going to get right in play. But... Uh, I guess I guess there's really not a ton of value to be had, and I, I was gonna say maybe I wait for like poor news on his recovery or like signal that the Cardinals might not play him and try to get him even cheaper. But it doesn't matter at that at that cost. You're you're just trying to play the game of like I hit the parlay of having all of my late round picks be. Useful. What no? What if? Sorry, I'm I'm suggesting one of the uh, one of the. It's sort of it's probably sort of dumb. But what if you combine if you have Kyler Murray and Josh Dobbs on the same team? Right. Yeah. I was I was picking up what you were putting down, and I'm just okay. I'm, I'm passing on that. I, I oh, just, you're just igno you're deliberately ignoring the question. No, no, no I'm, just, I'm just saying I would not. 
I wouldn't do it. I, I would, uh, if I'm going to draft one of them, I'm only drafting one of them. Yeah. I mean, I, I yeah. guess I could see the rationale in that you're saying, oh, I'm going to have Dobbs. And then only, I guess if you're doing an only two QB build with Dobbs and Kyler, that would be the only circumstance where I'd consider it. Um, but then you're eating a zero in the bye week. It doesn't, it doesn't seem great to me. I'd rather have that extra dart on a late round player um then allocate two spots to the same nfl team's quarterback if that makes sense and the arizona cardinals at that yeah yeah but uh totally 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 makes sense and one thing that i think is interesting as well is uh is is jordan love uh he did come in quite a bit and he what he did a uh, feature in an island game where until the uh, garbage time played pretty uh, garbage. Yeah. So it and does seem it does seem like a lot of his early season stuff was some kind of low sample because I remember week one, a, a big chunk of his yards were like Aaron Jones after the catch. He had the three touchdown games. Definitely, yeah. Uh, def- I'm I feel anyway that the love stuff now is sort of proven out to be pretty conclusively that he's. He's not better than a mediocre uh, NFL quarterback. And, yeah, and he I, might be worse. I I agree with that. Um, and he had he had some of his weapons back this week. You know, you didn't get full Aaron Jones usage. You didn't get full Christian Watson usage. Um, but you had some snaps from them. And this was the worst the offense has looked, you know, out of all the weeks. So, yeah, not not super bullish on love going forward, um, but definitely in, in that eight in resurrection. That seems way, oh, way too early. And see, that's just uh, the market anchors a guy to you know their prior from you know week two, week three. They're like, oh my gosh, she's crushing! Look how good he's doing. I think a big part of it is people are just like sorting by total fantasy points on the season and looking at guys. They're like, oh my gosh, Jordan Love is QB seven or whatever. And they're like, well, I'm going to draft him early. Um, But like the rest of the season, Baker Mayfield or Jordan Love, who do you like? Um, I think that's actually sort of close. Um, Probably probably slight favorite Jordan Love, but like so, so, so slight. Um, I think that even with some rough games, he'll hold on to his job much easier than uh, and Mayfield. And they're probably similar caliber players at this point, I think. Interesting. I, I think it's Baker going away. Um, and I think he is a better passer than Love. And I think the bench risk for Baker Mayfield is like substantially lower than we initially had estimated. He's been playing well for these weeks. You know, he's not just yes. like stringing it together and like not getting himself bench. He's playing well. Um, and I, right yeah, now. I so, correct. Correct. Think, but we, do you think he's going to play? Do you think we've seen enough that we can just say that, Hey, Baker Mayfield is going to have a, a good season this year. I, I would bet on that outcome more than I'd want to bet on the outcome of him not having a, a good season. He never, he never has really had a great, opportunity or great situation to thrive his whole career he's never had really his his first competent offensive coordinator was sean mcveigh and he you know learned the playbook on the flight over you know like 
that that was it. He's never had the same offensive coordinator for more than a season. He was in the Hugh Jackson, you know, awful situation. Like I, I just I think that he's been a victim of circumstance more than anything. And I don't think he's some world beater, but like if you told me Baker Mayfield is about the same level of quarterback in the NFL as Jared Goff is by the end of this season, I wouldn't be super surprised by that. Yeah, but I, and so just to play devil's advocate a little bit here, uh, I I wouldn't have uh, considered um um what does, who's the quarterback you just said? I, I can't Jared remember. Goff. Jared Goff. And I, I I wouldn't be surprised if um. Or, or say I I wouldn't classify that as a particularly high bar. No, no, but I'm just saying, like for hey, fantasy relevant. This is a quarterback that we should be drafting. I mean, what what did you say Baker's resurrection ADP is? Um, it's probably super late. So Baker is one sixty six. Yeah. So like, how are we taking Kyler Murray at the same spot as Baker Mayfield, and we're taking Jordan Love like five rounds ahead of Baker Mayfield? That doesn't make any sense. Oh and yeah, also, yeah. That, in in resurrection. I'm uh, I think I think they're super close. I think Love and, and Mayfield are really close. Uh, my my argument isn't that like um it isn't necessarily that I know that Mayfield uh, will uh will play bad. Just like I think that like if he's pretty even even if he's close to like an average um player and and, and, and I think he's probably slightly below average. You do have these in-season variances where, like, they can have a stretch of, of, of bad games. Um, and and I, I, I guess I would be a little bit wary that uh, uh, Mayfield can weather that, uh, that stretch without getting, uh, without getting benched. Yeah, I'm just I'm looking at his PFF numbers for this week. I mean, I know he had a, a good week this week, but... You know, 78% completion percentage, 86.2 accuracy percent. Like he's he's putting the ball where it needs to be, and he's he's letting his good receivers, you know, make plays. He's targeting Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. That's all we really want. Also, the reason I like it a lot for fantasy to to talk less from like an overall NFL perspective, yeah, is that offense is so concentrated, right? It's like you know who the guys are. That it's going to be Mike Evans or Chris Godwin, and like. You can probably throw a dart on Kate Otten to get some targets and maybe a random touchdown in the week that you need it. But like it's Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, and that's like all you really want to draft out of this offense. So Yeah, yeah. That that uh, that makes sense for sure. And I think that the bet of Baker Mayfield being good enough that uh, he can sustain fantasy players it is it, so clearly proven out. Uh, especially with the concentration that you talked about and how cheap they are or or where um I, uh, I I think that makes a lot of sense but uh, moving on from Baker because this is not the uh, the Baker Mayfield podcast this is stat chasing um, <laughs> someone who is who is better than Baker Mayfield uh, I mean we can just call it he's Andrew luck now basically is CJ Stroud he's he's been awesome he's been very very good. Um, he's elevating the receivers around him. Like, and to be fair to Nico Collins, he's never really had competent quarterback play for his entire career, but 
with CJ Stroud now and Nico Collins is delivering legitimate spike weeks, like, you know, week winning performances. Um, so that's really exciting. Uh, what are, what are your thoughts on like, where does Stroud fall rest of season as a fantasy quarterback? I think that he's, he's now basically a strong uh, pocket passer with, I, and, and he does, He's not a zero uh, in the uh, in the rushing game, but he doesn't add a lot. And um, but he's a pretty strong pocket passer, and so with that, you you will definitely get games like we've had, where extremely efficient, extremely productive, and then um, his receiver score points, and and that definitely. Um, but I I think we've said this. We've been saying saying this a while, or, or ever since uh, we started. Uh, the podcast this season, Texans players are uh, are, are strong uh, targets, and um, I do I do note that uh, the market has reacted pretty strongly to that. And um, Nico Collins uh, now an ADP of fifty eight, Tank Dell seventy one, and uh, CJ Stroud one hundred six, and um, can that de- can definitely see room for them to uh, to beat that still, and um, but. I think now you're you're getting into the territory now of like having to ask yourself, is CJ Stroud just in in his rookie year, uh, is he just a very good pocket passer, or do we think CJ Stroud is like, is there the potential that he could, uh, on the trajectory to be like basically one of the best quarterbacks of all time? Right. Like, yeah. To if like if you're asking him to, if you're asking him to, um sustain this like you said that that basically means that he's 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 like one of the best quarterbacks ever and 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 that's almost that's you're almost needing that with nico collins at pick 58 i think yeah i mean if he sustains this he's 1200 a little over 1200 yards through four games so you're you're talking just about 5000 yards as a rookie He's got six touchdowns so far. So you're talking probably 25 plus touchdowns, zero interceptions, and you know, adding a couple hundred rushing yards. Like that's that is the greatest rookie quarterback season of all time, basically. So that would be most quarterbacks' best ever season. I'm right. Sure. Right. I uh so the way that I want to play this, given given those ADPs you laid out for me here, is I I probably don't want to come in super overweight on them. And that just might be maybe I'm too anchored um, to the values that they were going at, but it's, I, I just don't, I don't feel super confident that he can continue on this trajectory. And I mean, if he does, it's, it's an all time, you know, all time kind of season. So I hate to, I hate to be out on, him it's such an exciting story i i like the yeah. player i it's very fun but i'm just worried that the market might be getting a little overconfident that he keeps up this trajectory so it definitely will be an interesting player to watch for this season he's he's one of my favorite storylines for sure and i know in um uh, in some in some of the sort of advanced metrics uh, as a college player he was basically always a, a, a 99, 100% tall uh, passer. 
all, all true college, and and that's what the benefit of the great Ohio State receivers and 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 um, all the other players. Um, but the reason I mentioned that is obviously not every uh, like elite college player becomes an an all time NFL player, and um, but. It's not like I, I guess I'm saying that because it wouldn't be out of the blue for him to be basically all timer. And um, but I think if you're if you're sort of like what where's your median expectation? It is for him to be a a good NFL pocket passer QB, if not like like five thousand and, and yards and, and thirty touchdowns, good. Especially not with the way the Texans are set up, like they don't have an offensive line. And like, I think the the weaponry there is still it's still a bit questionable. Like, the, obviously, it played very well uh, to start, but I mean, I, I'm not like considering Nico Collins as one of the best uh, player, receivers in the NFL. Would, would or or would you disagree there? No, I I agree with you. Nico is not one of the best receivers in the NFL. He's making a case that he's he's going to be. You know, if, if he's able to keep up the kind of production he's had, he's definitely going to be going in the first three rounds next season. Right. But he, I don't I mean, think... if, if he's able to maintain this, he is one of the best. More or <laughs> yeah. Less. yeah. Um, but so let, let's just to kind of get a, a comparison for CJ Stroud and, and what you expect from him rest of season and maybe what his, his mean outcome looks like. CJ Stroud or Trevor Lawrence, who do you want rest of season as your fantasy quarterback? Trevor Lawrence. Okay. Uh, just because we, we have a we just have a little bit more um uh sample size on on on, on uh Trevor Lawrence with, with his good year last year. Um obviously a little disappointing to start the year. Um but Think I would lean uh, Trevor Lawrence still. CJ Stroud or Deshaun Watson? Oh, CJ Stroud all day. Okay, yeah, same. Uh, were there any other quarterbacks? Uh, I feel like we didn't talk about a ton here, but the only other one that was a major mover is Justin Fields, um, and I feel like that's a little bit of an outlier because it was against the Broncos, and yeah. the Broncos defense looks like the spot to target this season. You know, uh, I, I'm i certainly going to be trying to target Broncos defense uh, for as long as, uh, until they prove otherwise, the Broncos defense is who I want my players playing against. And uh, so I'm not sure if this was just a, a product of facing the Broncos or if this was Justin Fields just getting more comfortable doing, playing his game, not, not trying to do what the coaching staff was asking of him where he, he complained for the first couple of weeks that he's having to do too much. He's, he's very clearly slow getting through his reads. So maybe it's just more of, he just needs to be a point and shoot kind of quarterback. Just I'm, I'm going to look for my one guy. He's not there. I'm just going right. to the, the play plays cannot be uh, something where he's got to work through like two, three, four progressions. Like it's not going to work for his processing speed. Um, so I, I don't know if that's noise from this week or uh, if it's going to be that they've figured they've more or less had a get right spot here and, and they kind of know now what's going to be a little more effective for him going forward. What do you think about that? 
I think that um, it's definitely like you, you de- when you have a, an opponent that has just been like leaking points, like the Broncos, and um, him, him having a good day, um, it if it, it, it doesn't feel like enough evidence, given how much he struggled before, that um, that he's now going to be um, that good of a passer and 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 get scored that much many points going forward. I yeah, I think the main path to uh, Justin Fields' fantasy production is him rushing more often uh, than he has been, um, and I think that that's probably still likely uh, to happen. Um, so I'm definitely uh, I'm definitely interested in in Fields at a discount. Let me let me look up at his uh, his ADP uh, his ADP in resurrection. Is now eighty-seven, and that's so. Uh, Fields, that's, Fields versus Stroud would be like a legitimate decision. Yeah. In fact, you'd you'd have to be like consciously taking Fields over Stroud if you were just going on ADP. Right now, he's like close? two rounds ahead of Stroud, um, and I think um, the only the only risk I think and is is that like when they've been asked, hey. Are, are you commit? Can, are you committed now to Fields as your uh, as your starter going forward? They it it does seem like they've been a little bit uh, hesitant to say that, but I think with with the potential for for the massive rushing upside that you get from Fields, that does put him ahead of Stroud. Um, Stroud is probably is definitely or, or seems quite likely to be a better player. Um, but the the rushing production that you can get from Fields, it, it's just rushing as a quarterback. It, it's just get so many more points than uh, than uh, uh, un, unless you're Peyton Manning it, uh, as a passer. It, it just it's so it's so hard for the pocket passers to outproduce in, in fantasy the the uh, the rushing guys. Yeah, a- absolutely. Uh, one other guy that I wanted to note before we move on from quarterbacks. Uh, the Derek Carr injury, and we'll we'll see the trickle down effects of this in the next couple charts. Um, but the Derek Carr injury looked like it really hampered his ability to actually deliver the ball downfield accurately. Uh, I know Olave had just a gang of air yards. He's like 154 air yards this week, but uh, just couldn't couldn't connect. Couldn't couldn't put it on him accurately. He had some intermediate. I, I watched the game. He had some intermediate passes where he was able to find, you know, Michael Thomas in the intermediate and uh, had some Rashid Shahid stuff that worked out. But uh, a lot of it was just the little dink and dunk underneath stuff. I'm concerned this continues for a couple weeks. Um, just if it's a, you know, if it's a AC joint sprain, I, I believe that's what it was. Is that correct? Um, yeah, that, that, that sounds right. But if that's what it is, I, I think that's, that's going to be a couple week kind of injury. And so I would be a little uh, hesitant in investing specifically in the receiver. I mean, really just any, any receiving option on the saints that's operating beyond the very, very short areas of the field for the next few weeks, um, especially as like a ceiling play, you, you might be able to get some moderate production from, you know, Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara and stuff like that. But I'm I'm less excited about Olave for the next couple of weeks. Um, so 
I think it, it's an AC joint sprain. Uh, we're just entering week five uh, this week. And then the following week will be week six, the first week of resurrection, and then week seven, and, and so on and so forth. So, I mean, maybe I'm leading the witness here, but I, I think that there's enough of a chance that he's um, that Carr is rested or, or recovered from this injury, this shoulder injury, to, to maybe make the overall seasonal impact on Olave pretty minimal. Or, or would you dis- would you disagree? In the in the context of resurrection, I think the way that I would be playing it, I haven't. Who, who do the Saints play this week? Do you have that off the top of your head? I do not know that off the top of my head. Um, okay. But it, it's the week after this that uh, it's the uh, the Buccaneer. No, the Buccaneers who or who they played already. Um, it's the Patriots. Okay, so what I think I want to do for Carr is I want to draft no Carr right now. For, for this week. I want to wait until they play the Patriots. He is not able to push the ball downfield again. He puts up a lackluster fantasy performance. Yeah. And then I want to load up as much Saints as I'm trying to have in my portfolio. If I'm trying to be even with the field, I'm trying to get even with the field. If I'm trying to be over, I'm getting over. But I'm doing that after this next week because I I'm willing to make the bet that it's a game that the market overreacts to and you get those two data points strung together back to back of bad, bad passing game for Derek Carr and bad game for Chris Olave. You, you get some, uh, maybe, maybe a little fourth round Chris Olave. That sounds pretty, pretty enticing to me. So I, I think that's the way that I'm playing Carr for resurrection. That, uh, that makes sense for sure. That makes sense for sure. And then obviously, yeah. Uh, Probably uh, wouldn't be starting a car in like sort of seasonal and stuff anyway. Um, well, are, are you benching a Olave this week? I I really hate benching my. I had a I had a team where I had the decision. I believe my options were it was AJ Brown, Christian Kirk, Keenan Allen, Garrett Wilson last week. I could only start three of them, um, and I ended up benching Garrett Wilson. And I hate, I just absolutely hate doing stuff like that. I just want to, usually I don't even care that the quarterback situation is bad or the matchup is bad or whatever. I just, I want to play my studs. And, uh, but I benched Garrett Wilson and going into that game against the Chiefs, I was feeling pretty good about it. You know, Christian Kirk got a a ton of targets, Keenan Allen, like I was never benching Keenan after what he's done and with Eckler still out even though it was a little bit of a down week for him. He kind of saved it with the touchdown. Of course, A.J. Brown has that explosion game. So I'm feeling like the smartest man in the world. And then Zach Wilson comes out. He's a competent quarterback. And he's, I, I think all the uh, all that chewing out he got on the sideline from Garrett Wilson in the last week, he's like, dude, you need to get me the ball. And I believe that had a lasting effect on the young man because he was, uh, he was very focused on getting the ball to Garrett Wilson. So... Uh, a little, little encouraging going forward there. Um, but as far as benching Olave, because that's that's a real roundabout way to get back to this. But as far as benching Olave, I probably don't do it unless I have that type of you know really, really good option, a great alternative over Olave, like I described there, where like I could comfortably cl- play Christian Kirk over him, you know, and feel good about that. Have those other better receivers, yeah. my wide receiver one and two. 
that uh that makes sense for sure that makes sense for sure so we're uh we're, we're hoping that uh their car is not or, or, or we expect that their car will still be not 100 healthy against patriots um but still still interested beyond that and and, and hope to create that exposure after a dip and uh, following a uh, week five absolutely um, so think think that's a a good uh, jumping off point to uh, move to our running back chart, which uh, is snaps and usage. And so this is um, rushing attempts, routes, pass blocking, and run blocking, all expressed as a percentage of the team's overall plays. And so Kyron Williams, you can see that he is on the field, roughly speaking, 80% of the time for the Rams. And he is either uh, getting a rush attempt or running a route just over 65% of plays, which is the most of any uh, um, eligible player. Uh, I think, uh, no, no, it is, it, it's just the high, it's the highest of any uh, running back um, this year. Um, and then um, I guess the reason that we use routes is, is because um, and, and this was kind of a, a point Gretsch made uh, to me and Sam last year, was that a lot of the time, unless they're a special, special receiver, such as CMC, a lot of running back targets is almost by accident. It's because the where the play was supposed to go um, didn't work out, and, and then there's the running back, a check down. And so the way that players can accumulate a lot of points, running backs can accumulate a lot of points, Brown man, the being the beneficiary of those checkdowns is just being out in a route in a route uh, very often, um, and um, and and so that that's why we look at that, and then we look at pass blocking because uh, obviously it's not fantasy productive, but it is useful to know that the team trusts them to uh, to pass block uh, when they're not running routes. Excellent explanation of, uh, of the chart and what it shows here. And you know who was out and about on a lot of routes this week was Alvin <laughs> Kamara. He, uh, he had 13 targets, uh, pretty absurd number. Uh, definitely reminded me of the Najee Harris uh, with Ben Roethlisberger's noodle arm kind of days. Um, and and it's, it kind of played out because of the same thing. Derek Carr couldn't push the ball downfield. And like you said, hey, we, we don't have a guy down the field that we're able to go to here. So what are we going to do? We're going to dump it off to the running back. And so Kamara's first game back immediately looks like he's in a very desirable role for fantasy. He wasn't terribly efficient, um, which we'll see on on our next charts. Um, he, he didn't make a ton out of all the opportunity that he got. But just getting that much opportunity is valuable. And so... Definitely looks like a uh, an interesting player going forward. A lot of the players on this chart, it's kind of uh, you know business as usual, so to speak. No no major changes, um, but the ones that I did want to point out that I felt like were uh, worth worth mentioning for situational changes. We did see Alexander Madison start to lose uh, a little bit of opportunity to Cam Akers, and Cam Akers looked at least halfway decent. So it's concerning for Madison going forward. He did put together a better game than his his really poor performances in the first couple weeks of the season. 
Um, but that's just something to have on your radar. Uh, maybe in a season long league, if your league mates aren't super plugged in and you can trade Madison purely off the volume and, and he had a couple better games back to back, you might be able to package him with another player and, and go get someone whose role might be a little sticky here over the course of the season. I'm just, I'm worried about him losing opportunity to acres as the season goes on. Uh, the other one that I wanted to point out, um, Zach Moss is interesting because of the context of Jonathan Taylor coming back. So if you just, if you transplant the Jonathan Taylor talent into the role that Zach Moss is getting, which I don't think there's any reason to, you know, if they're using Zach Moss like this, there's no reason where if Jonathan Taylor's active and fully healthy, he's not getting at least this usage as well. And if he's getting this usage, he's, you know, in the top five backs as far as the opportunities he's getting in the league. And I would certainly say that JT is going to be more efficient than Saquon, going to be more efficient than Kamara, and going to be more efficient than Kyron. So you're looking at a guy that his his real only competition to be a better fantasy back would be Christian McCaffrey then. So that's certainly a very interesting situation to monitor. Drico, did you have any guys on this chart that stood out to you this week? Um, so just to, uh, just to, I guess, put in some color for the, uh, the Zach Moss, um, comment. Um, so obviously with, uh, Anthony Richardson as quarterback, there is not a lot of receiving, uh, role or, or, or expected points to go around for running backs. Um, and so within an offense like the Colt, the Colts, the, the the back the run the for a running back to actually have a, a good role they really need to uh, sort of like condense they they need to basically have a stranglehold on it and it's sort of like well if uh, if Zach Moss can get a stranglehold on this role then uh, and 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 Dion uh, what's his name Dion Jackson was able to do that in week one then Jonathan Taylor should absolutely be able to do that um. And so I agree with you where uh, JT, if JT is playing and, 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 and full year and, and no worries about the, uh, the trade and the contract and stuff like that, but easily uh, a first round value and um, probably uh, uh, don't, don't, I, I'm not sure exactly what spot in the first round I would take them. And um, I haven't gone through a player by player, but easily first round value there. And wouldn't wouldn't because or because we're expecting it to be so condensed, would not worry so much about um how do I say it about the the, the lack of targets for uh, Zach Moss and, and 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 for running backs generally in in mobile quarterback and offenses just because of that just because of um how condensed it has been and and, and how good uh, JT has been. Yeah, well, well said. Good, good context there for uh, the those routes. You know, you're not going to convert those to fantasy points in the same way that someone like even a Kyron Williams will, just because they're he's going to get more of those actually converted into targets. Uh, the other other players here on this that I uh, I wanted to point out, Miles Sanders. Uh, a, Part of why his uh, opportunity went down a little bit was he's he's dealing with that groin injury. 
so you did see more Chuba Hubbard this week. Um, I'm not, I'm not certain that the backfield is something that you even really want a part of for this offense. Um, Gretch, Gretch talked about this, this off season where he was saying there's going to be more of these, uh, these haves and have nots in the NFL where there's going to be teams where there's just a lot of fantasy goodness to go around because they're good offenses. They're producing a lot. And there's going to be teams where you just don't, really want a part of it. And I think the Panthers are really shaping up to be a team that I don't want a part of. You know, I'm, I'm happy with the Chuba that I got at the price that I got in because it's like, I won't take a zero at running back some weeks. Cause I'm going to get like six to eight points from Chuba, but not, I think the upside scenarios for pretty much all of those players on the Panthers look very bleak. Uh, I think we've probably already seen Adam Thielen's highest scoring game for the season. Right. I, I just, yeah, well, it was, a, he scored like 30 points or something like that. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't think there's a, that's not an offense I really want to be going after. And so I just wanted to point out the, the Miles Sanders uh, little, little decrease in role there just for this week. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. And uh, one thing that I um, struck me as interesting was uh, Kenneth Walker here, who um, is on the field a little over sixty percent of the time, and obviously very, very strong start of the year. And uh, you, you're happy with the discount that you got because of uh, Charbonnet, um, and it's so. I think it's sort of interesting that um, Kenneth Walker hasn't quite held. Uh, Charbonnet off and that Charbonnet is building up something. It definitely feels like a 60-40, 65-35 role in uh, in Seattle. But what has um what has been quite beneficial for Walker is that he's gotten a pretty good um goal line role. Um and 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 that's been very uh, helpful in uh, in 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 his uh, scoring points. Um but I, I do think it's like I, I took a I took a decent amount of Walker and I, I was happy yeah uh, I've been happy with the start of the year and but it feel it feels a little bit like um he really does have to hold on to uh, that strong goal line role to uh, continue to, to to put up these points and I see that he's going at an ADP of twenty. So the the discount on uh, Kenneth Walker is gone, um, and I do I, I really like Kenneth Walker the player. I've never I I've not really been concerned with the success rate stuff, just because he, uh, when he breaks a run, it it's it lifts the offense so much, and uh, so never really been concerned with that sort of stuff. But um, and then the, I I guess just thinking through this as well, um. The fact that he has actually been scoring touchdowns with his touchdown role is an indication that he should keep it. And so maybe, yeah, maybe looking at that ADP of twenty, maybe that's just sort of like efficient for Kenneth Walker now. Where where is Charbonnet going right now? Charbonnet is going at pick one thirteen. I would be loading the bags with Charbonnet. Um, not that I think that you know, he, he's going to unseat Kenneth Walker for all of the opportunity, but he's been getting on the field more. Uh, he's shown he's a really physical runner. You know, that that's, that's what 
got Pete Carroll to put Chris Carson on the field so much, right? He's just like, he wanted <laughs> right. a guy who's happy to run his face into a grown man. And uh, and that Zach Charbonnet looks like he's very adept at that. So the contingent value seems incredible for Charbonnet. And I, I think that you also, as the season progresses, even with Kenneth Walker healthy, you've got a lot of, of paths where his standalone value increases also just as being the, the passing game back, uh, you know, as being maybe being able to siphon away some of those goal line touches. So Charbonnet to me feels like the kind of player whose ADP should have increased. And right. instead it's just kind of sat where it did all summer. So that's a spot I'd attack aggressively um, if I were drafting in resurrection. Another one that, I, I'm not sure where his ADP is at, but where I would be very interested in attacking aggressively is Isaiah Pacheco. Where where is he sitting right now? Um, give me one second. Um, Pacheco is now going 75. Oh so man, slightly- I'm I'm smashing that. I, I'm pretty much hitting it all the way until like 50. I think would be efficient because what you're looking at is you're looking at a back who's starting to. He's never he's never going to consolidate all the work in that offense. They're gonna they're gonna use McKinnon still. They'll sprinkle in a little Ceh, you know, just to to take some you know wear off of him. But he's looking like he's doing what they want out of the running back in their system. He's he's being utilized in the passing game as well, and that's just an offense where we can expect them to score lots of fantasy points. And so I I want that back. I I would be aggressively drafting Pacheco. I, I would, uh, if I can get him, you know, at, if it's pick 70 and he's on the, I mean, shoot, even like if it's pick 60 and he's on the board, I'm probably just taking him a hundred percent of drafts. Like I, I would be that aggressive with it. Um, and, and you're going to have, he, he's, he, to me, he kind of feels like diet uh, Kenneth Walker in the rushing game, but with, with passing game upside, right? And on a better offense. So Yeah. Am I am I way off base here with Pacheco? So like you said, he he is running routes and and he does he does have the potential for the uh the Mahomes magic where he's dancing around. Somehow they they don't cover Pacheco and then he runs for a billion yards. He definitely has, uh, could definitely be the beneficiary of those plays. I don't see any real reason why not. And and his his running his rushing usage has definitely been trending up. And I saw I just see here that he uh, um obviously had 115 rushing yards. Uh, that was a Sunday night, and expected rushing yards of 84. So definitely got usage there. And so definitely feels like the, I I feel like this, this chart sort of has him like appropriately placed where he's definitely the, uh, he's got the plurality, plurality, I got you. Thank you. Of touches. Um, in, in the KC offense and, but not, not quite the, the clear cut starter. Um, and then I guess if he if he is able to get this sort of like um, goal line uh, role, which 
he he's definitely he's definitely been favored on the goal line most recently. His um is well, no, not quite. He uh, he was favored on the goal line last week, and then it's been it was sort of split between uh, Isaiah Pacheco and, and Clyde Edwards Hilaire. So I, I don't know that this this one feels like it's much more of a hot hand backfield. KC feels like much more of a hot hand backfield where um, it could be different guys in different weeks. To I, me, anyway. I agree with that. I just think he's going to be the hot hand more often than the other guys to uh, enough that it's it's pretty pretty desirable. If you look at, he's, he's running, you know, at least 15 routes every game. Uh, you know, he, he's had four receptions, one reception, two receptions, three receptions. So he's, he's consistently involved in the passing game. Uh, he, he's elusive. His, his elusive rating has been fantastic the last two weeks and his attempts have climbed every week. He eight attempts, week one, 12, week two, 15, week three, 20 in week four. I, uh, he, he's avoiding tackles at a high rate too. eight avoided tackles, week three, five avoided tackles, week four. Uh, to me, it's just this is what this is why people were excited to draft him last season, and we started to see it come on down the stretch. And I think the lower usage in the first couple of weeks might have been a factor of him not being fully healthy. You know, he had those injuries he was dealing with through camp and coming into the season. I think we might see him. I, I agree with you. It's it's going to be a high hand situation. There will be weeks where McKinnon's the guy. I don't think there's going to be many weeks where CH is the guy. CH might be annoying and rob you of a touchdown here or there, but I think it's it's going to be. If I had to put my chips on one back in this backfield, it's going to be Pacheco, and I I feel like that price is not. You're not capturing the upside correctly with that price. You know the, the good fair. outcomes for They're, him they, are very. K- good. Casey or a kingmaker at, at running back every year, like yeah. or not every year, almost every year. There's a KC running back that scores 30 points a game in, in the most crucial weeks. And if it is Pacheco, then 74 is is it's not nearly high enough uh for uh that outcome. So I I, def- I definitely get what you're saying. Uh my, my my hesitancy has always been like to pay for the expensive uh KC back, especially when I, I'm not like in love with their talent. But Totally agree. There are, are, are definitely outcomes where he is scoring a shit ton of points every week, and seventy four is, is just a smash price for him. So where does where does James Cook go relative to Pacheco? Because that's one that I think is worth comparing. Yeah, no that that is a good uh, good uh, comparison. One second, because um, Cook also has that annoying aspect of the backfield where. It's not just the backs for him. It's also his quarterback will steal some goal line stuff. And then you have Latavius Murray inexplicably taking a bunch of routes this week. And, you know, you have Damian Harris who will work in on the goal line. And he, he's also taking routes. So so James Cook is going uh, two rounds ahead of, uh, of Pacheco at pick 51. Seems like an incredible arbitrage opportunity to me. I would... Uh, both both great offenses, both you know backfields where you're going to have some frustration, you know, in some weeks where your guy, you know, your your Pacheco, your James Cook gets some work vultured or doesn't get everything you think he should. 
but I right. I'd be aggressively uh, hitting Pacheco until the market corrects on that. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. I I mean, I'm not I'm not loving that James Cook at pick four fifty there, or like the start of the the fifth round, um. So uh, it's it's very definitely very difficult for me to argue that he's a better pick than um than uh, Pacheco, two rounds ahead of him, and um, but to me that that's almost like. And James Cook is, is just too expensive. Gotcha. Uh, any and, anyone else on this chart, or should we move to the backups here? Yeah, let's let's. I think uh, we should move on to the backups here. So same chart, except this time we're at the twenty five to forty percent at routes plus rush attempts. So like sort of like your your uh, your backups, but still. Playing as like as not substantial but meaningful amount of snaps. Yeah, uh, the uh, the Broncos backfield going to be frustrating with the uh, the Javante Williams injury. You're you're just going to end up you're going to get Jaleel McLaughlin opportunities, and uh, the Javante injury didn't sound overly serious, and he's going to miss a ton of time. But I bet you the team's real careful with him coming back, right? You've already got the knee that you're going to be concerned about. You just you don't want any compensation injuries. You want to you want to protect your player. So I would anticipate that this backfield just becomes a three-headed monster, really un uh, unfun for fantasy. You know, uh, I'm there. There could be production, but uh, right now it's just. I mean, Jaleel McLaughlin produced great this last week but i just i worry that when it's it's all three of them is there really going to be enough pie to go around between all three so that was the first thing that stood out to me on this chart i know we don't have Jaleel mclaughlin here yet uh he just doesn't he didn't get enough snaps to crack the chart um so um expected points combined for all running backs for denver this week was 20. And if you're splitting 20 expected points three ways, that's a, that's pretty tough. Yeah, that I'm, I'm not tough. excited about that. So that's that's a, a warning sign for that backfield. If you're in season long and you can somehow move Javante or P. Ryan for anything, or, or even probably the savviest move is you get Jaleel McLaughlin off waivers, he pops for a week, and you try and package him and ship him off or something. Who, who knows? I, I don't think... Uh, I'm I'm a little concerned though for that backfield going forward. Uh, yeah, Brees Brees Hall moving up the chart, making his way on up. Uh, led the backfield in touches this week with six. <laughs> <laughs> with uh, six he, touches, uh, was it, was it six or touches? Or six make... carries. Let's let me pull him up here. Uh, six rush attempts. Six rush attempts. You got me. it. Um, yeah, and speaking of um, not great uh, backfield, so just 18 uh, ex- combined expected points for the Jets uh, this week. Uh, five for Carter, seven for Brees Hall, five and a half for uh, Dalvin Cook. Um, so it, 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 it sort of I, – I don't think this changes anything a meaningful amount in that, like uh, – you need uh, you need 
Brees Hall to to consolidate the uh, the work around him. You need him to meaningfully improve the offense through his uh, abilities. Um, but it it's definitely it's definitely not happening on the trajectory that was our most optimistic timeline. I uh, I am very excited about his matchup with the Broncos this week, though, because that defense seems very desirable to target. And his snapshot, I believe, was the highest it's been all season this week as well. So the Jets are clearly working him back into the role that they eventually want him to have. If you're the Jets, your division is looking very scary, right? You've got the Bills who just took it to the Dolphins, who just who had previously dropped 70 on the Broncos. So you're, you're looking at those two teams in your division, you're thinking, gosh, we got to really make some headway if we're going to have a chance at the playoffs. And so I, I would I feel like if the chips are down and they need to win the game, they probably want to put the ball in Brees Hall's hands more. And I think the Broncos are a really interesting spot. I haven't looked at what his price is for uh, on DraftKings this week, but this is one of those spots where I'm happy to play it before I see it. I, I would uh, would just want to, you know, hope the market is not ready to bet on Brees Hall yet. They're scared from the lack of opportunity, and uh, who knows? Maybe there's some, uh, you know, some weird universal juju going on. He did tear his uh, his ACL against the Broncos last season. Uh, but he was on the way to having a massive day when he did tear that ACL. So maybe uh, maybe this upcoming week he uh, he sets everything right in the world, has an explosive game. I'm I'm excited uh, for that. My other uh, my other pet player that I've been very uh, vocal about this season, Justice Hill. Never a great look to lose work to Melvin Gordon. It's pretty. A uh, pretty bad sign. The only optimistic thing you can tell yourself about Justice Hill is the competition is still poor. It's it's still Gus Edwards and Melvin Gordon, and maybe he just wasn't a hundred percent yet coming off the turf toe. If it was actually turf toe, which I don't think they explicitly said it was turf toe, they said it was a toe injury. But if it was turf toe, that kind of injury can can linger for a while. So maybe he just wasn't a hundred percent. They only gave him three carries, uh, but. Yeah, not not super positive for him. We we did mention Cam. Well, they, they, he only played eleven percent of snaps. Justice Hill. Yeah, I mean that that to me does scream that uh, uh being eased off back in injury. Yeah, I I certainly hope that's the case. <laughs> uh, Cam Cam Akers, we we did talk about briefly. Uh, I could see his role increasing with the Vikings, uh, but that's. As far as uh oh the other the other guy on this backup chart here that uh, I feel like his stock declined a little bit this week. I'm not so nervous for him, but Roshan, I think that for Roshan we got really excited seeing early in the season all that opportunity in the passing game, and the Bears have not his role has not been increasing week over week. Rather, it's been shrinking. Um, Khalil Herbert got a lot of opportunity this week. And so I think Roshan is going to be the kind of, you know, your, your classic rookie running back who we're going to have to wait a little longer in the season for his role to expand. 
Um, but I, I know the excitement for Roshan was there early. But I, well, I you were excited about him. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I was definitely, definitely thought he could be really interesting. But I think it's one of those where it's going to be more of a wait and see rather than a get production right away from him kind of deal. Right. And, and so, and uh, the other thing that uh, we should mention, so Dijon Achan, obviously moving up this chart. If if we were to look at uh, just his uh, just week four, he was on the field sixty six percent of snaps, and fifty percent of the Dolphins' plays where passes where uh, Achan was running a route. So don't know what that. Not quite sure what that is. Um, in terms of like his route participation rate, but super high. Um, does feel like that. Um, there's a decent chance that he he's their clear passing down back going forward, which, like, oh baby, like that that's that that would be pretty nuts. Yeah, he he's looking like of all the rookie running backs, he's the largest win rookie running back that you could have drafted. Uh, so he, he had he a sixty-eight percent route share last week. Yeah, he he looks like a smash through and through. That he's one of the player. He's one of those players. What's his resurrection ADP at? Um, probably not high. Well, I, I should look at it before I I make that comment. Um, but probably not high. His resurrection ADP is forty. Oh, okay. I, I was gonna say forty would be like uh, if he's not forty, I'm hammering it. But right, it does. Efficient. It does seem the the market did. Uh, a good enough job. I, I guess that's what happens when you drop a four touchdown game, uh, so right? And and I super was... high, highly visible performance and like something that's going to be under the microscope. So it makes sense that uh, the market will be about right there. Yeah, the market market got that pretty close to right. Um, I, I think we're good to move on to the next chart. Yeah. We did we lingered quite a while on some early ones here. Um, yeah, and I, I, I think we can uh, we can sort of breeze through uh, the expected points chart as well because we hit on so many of the points uh, we'd have wanted to make. Um, so yeah, uh, that's my job to uh, explain these charts. I forgot about that. So this is uh, the expect the running back expected points and efficiency chart. Um, on the horizontal horizontal axis, we've got rushing expected points, and on the vertical axis, we've got uh, receiving expected points. And then these sort of dotted red lines, they kind of like mark the uh, the areas of like total expected points. So you can see here on the very right, anywhere in here, and um, they had more than 20 expected points and then 15 to 20. So uh, just for exa example, uh, there, David Montgomery had 16 expected rushing points per game, uh, or sorry, expected points from rushing per game and then um, two, or just under two from receiving. And so he's around 18, and that's why he lands in this 15 to 20 chart. And then we have 10 to 15, we have six to 10, and, and then finally zero to five. Yeah, a couple couple guys I wanted to point out here. We did see Keyshawn Vaughn uh, seem like he's emerging as the number two in Tampa Bay. So all of my Sean Tucker big board shares are officially dead. That is a good amount of money I have lit on fire. Um, I'm not super interested in the Tampa Bay running game, though. Rashad White hasn't been very efficient. 
Uh, it, I mean, if they go cheap enough, if White goes cheap enough in Resurrection, it's like an innings eater kind of player. You know, it's like a, a better version of Chuba Hubbard. You know, you'll get you're not going to take a zero because you have Rashad White in there getting, you know, his three yards of carry or whatever he does. Um, but I, his expected fantasy points, I, I would say probably come down. Uh, I, I don't think he's going to be able to maintain that share of the workload with how inefficient he's being. I think they probably work Keyshawn Vaughn in a tiny bit. It's, it's just going to be one of those things where the pie is not big enough um, to really want that running back or, or want that backfield unless you're getting it pretty cheap. So it, I think Rashad White is interesting in that uh, his resurrection at ADP is 82. And it's like, it's somebody like, like we're saying he's in the, um, he's in the, what, what you call it? 15 expected points per game. Uh, and even, I, I don't, I definitely don't want to catch a falling knife. Uh, I'm, I'm, I've never been, uh, or, or I try really hard to not be that type of drafter. Um, but I think that it, that is interesting in that like you see, 15 expected points at, at an ADP of 80. And that, that that's something where I, I find it quite challenging to, uh, to value. But you, so you said he's, he's ADP 82. Pacheco was 75. Is that right? Yep. Are you going to so tell that, me that Pacheco has more expected points? No, they're, they're right. They're right on each other. But okay. for me, it's. Oh uh, yeah, you're right there. Yeah. That's that's ships in the night right there. That is, uh, you know, I, I see Pacheco moving on up, and I see Rashad White <laughs> as uh, as moving on down. So I'm I'm Pacheco over White every day. That I would, if it means that I have to have zero percent Rashad White to have more Pacheco, right. I'm, I am sleeping like a baby with my zero percent Rashad White, right? Yeah, I, I I definitely I get what you're saying for sure, and. Um, and it's like, do I want White more than Pacheco? Uh, no, I don't. It, I'm, and and it's interesting seeing Pacheco here with in the in the fifteen expected points category too, which is sort of like eye opening for me. Um, and if it, I, I guess that this definitely speaks to what you were saying, where um, if he's playing for the Chiefs, if he's getting these expected points, um, and he's going to be pick seventy five. I, I, I think I'm, I'm going to capitulate and say, and say you were definitely right on that one. I, uh, I'm glad you came around on Pacheco. Uh, another guy right in, I swear I'm not just picking guys dead in the middle of the chart, but it's a guy I wanted to talk about is Joe Mixon. That one, what what's his resurrection ADP? Because if it's not like, it should also be, like I'd take Pacheco over Joe Mixon, every, you know, every day and twice on Sundays. He, he probably, Joe Mixon and Rashad White are the same thing. They're just their their yeah. volume in a bad offense, right? And and like so Mixon is fifty three. So yeah, never all be zero percent Mixon then, literally zero percent, never touch it. They're, they might even they might be the same age though. That's <laughs> Mixon and White. I'm joking. I, I think Rashad <laughs> White was like an old. Uh, I, he was he was an older prospect, but uh, yeah, like I'll have zero percent Mixon there. Um, that that's just not it's not for me. Uh, yeah, no, that that uh, that makes sense for sure. I think that that uh, definitely seems like a, a bad uh, a, a bad pick for sure. Uh, uh, any uh, anyone else on this chart 
you wanted to hit on or, or should we move to the next one? Uh, no, I, I, I think we can move on uh, from this one here. And this so a, uh, just another one. call that um, th- this one looks a little weirder because it has Camara on it. Um, and just pe- th- we, we get this comment quite often where, hey, uh, the uh, so-and-so player isn't on the chart. We have to split the chart up into two. Otherwise, it gets too clustered. And the way that we most efficiently decluster it is we put the even guys on one chart and then the guys with odd points, an odd amount of points on the other. So that way we kind of separate things out and, and make this easier to read. Uh, and as far as making it harder to read, I, uh, I've i decided to just scale the chart to the, the highest amount of expected fantasy points for both the rushing and receiving axes here. And... Uh, Alvin Kamara with his 13 targets this week had quite a bit of expected receiving points. You can see him up there above 20. Uh, He wasn't terribly efficient with it, which is why his little circle is so small. The larger the circle, the more efficient the player is with their opportunities. And so you're seeing Kamara's getting this elite role. His expected points are very high. We saw on the usage charts, he's, you know, among the top backs in the league as far as his role but he's not terribly efficient. So the way that I'm digesting this is there's probably a decent chunk of the outcomes where Kamara is just a pretty good pick to have this year where he, you know, the role that you got for the cost you paid is, a, you know, could, could very well be a steal. Uh, I don't know where he's going in Resurrection. I would assume that Resurrection moved his ADP up pretty substantially since, you know, knowing that he's not going to be suspended was assuming right in to the price. Uh, I'd be interested. So, yeah, 47, right around Raheem Mostert, Aaron Jones, and uh, Joe Mixon. Okay. I I definitely take him over Mixon. Him and Aaron Jones are both interesting to me. That feels about right to have those two players near each other. Um, James Cook in that range too. Yeah, I I'm probably leaning Cook there because, again, the whole ships in the night thing. Not to overuse it, but I feel like if anything, Kamara Kamara's role can only really decrease from here. And it's not like we don't have any reason to think that it could decrease. He he was bad last year. He lost work to David Johnson and Mark Ingram. Like those players are not taking NFL snaps this year for a reason, right? He was not good last year in this first game. He wasn't super efficient. I, I guess what I'm saying is there's a, a good chunk of outcomes where he just does enough to hold on to the role and the role's really good. And he's, he's just good because he's the guy getting the role kind of like Kyron Williams, right? Like Kyron's not anything particularly special. He's getting a crazy role. Right. And so I think that's what you're looking at for Kamara. When it's a win, that's what you get. He just gets the role. When it's a loss, when Kamara starts losing some of this work, you've got a very intriguing opportunity here because someone's got to take the carries. Now, you know, prior to him coming back, Jamal Williams didn't do too much with it. You know, Tony Jones Jr. didn't do a ton with it. And Kendra didn't do a ton with his opportunity. But I've, I've got to think that what we saw in the first few weeks, there's no way that the rushing game for this offense is that poor. So I feel like this is an opportunity where if people are going to 
you know, I'm, I'm never going to be super excited to buy Jamal Williams, but if Jamal Williams is free in resurrection, I might, might take a crack there. I, I'm still probably going to just lose money on Kendra though. And just, I, I would assume that Kendra is mostly free as well. And that's probably the way that I'd want to still play this offense. But uh, yeah, I, I felt okay. like it was. Kendra is pick 180. Uh, I just need to not draft resurrection because I'm going to lose so much money on Kendra Miller. Um, I think um, with the Camara stuff, it's, it's actually, it's a lot more intuitive than it looks. Or if, if this is like one of those stupid situations, and half of Camara and forty-seven percent of Camara's routes was tar- he got targeted. He had negative twenty air yards, and he had like uh, thirty-three, uh, thirty-three uh, actual receiving yards. So he was basically tar- being targeted. F- let's say four yards. Uh, or, or, or minus minus let's say minus two yeah say minus two yards in the backfield and then getting back to uh, three yards beyond the line of scrimmage so something like that and uh, or, or maybe even less like one yard beyond the line of scrimmage two or something so, anyway um it's very clear that they were they did not have a functional passing offense and and we're blaming on the injury and so and then the 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 uh, the defense probably did know. Hey, they're just gonna choke it down. Like, so it's this is definitely a, a strange, strange week that I, I wouldn't expect to see too often. Um, but having so that means I'm, I'm completely writing off this target. Obviously, I'm I'm writing off the um the target number. It's just it's bananas. It's not gonna happen again. Um, I'm probably expecting a little bit better efficiency, um, but we ha- we have seen this ongoing decline in Kamara's uh, skill set as uh, as a run after the catch receiver. Um, but he, 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 there, there's definitely a chance where he's like still a uh, a serviceable NFL route runner as a running back and, and can uh, can make plays. Um, but I think I do think at a pick fifty, it's it's just too rich for what you're getting there. Yeah, I, I think you're right there. Um, I, I, I probably was being a little too uh, friendly to Camara at, at that ADP just because I have none of him in uh, mm-hmm. in my normal best ball drafts, and I I didn't want to uh, let my bias of not having any of him bury him. But I. He has been bad. I don't think he's all of a sudden, you know, found the fountain of youth and going to look like, you know, the Alvin Kamara of yesteryear or yesteryear years, you know? So that's probably a, that's better, better analysis than I gave there. Uh, Moving, moving on from Kamara. No, I I don't think better. Just, just different, different flavor. (laughs) Moving, moving on from Kamara. We see Swift. Uh, he's, he's going to eventually, he's almost broken into that 15 to 20 fantasy point band there. I think he gets there. I think the Eagles, they, they've shown that they realize that Swift is the better option, uh, to gain. Well, I think it's what, what it's going to shake out as is Swift is that, that primary back. He's going to get, you know, the Miles Sanders level work that Sanders got last year. 
possibly even a little bit more. He has been utilized in the passing game, you know, a little more than Sanders was as well. Uh, and so I think that we see the the most painful thing to me is this offseason when people started hyping Kenny Gainwell. I I was saying, you know, we we did this last year. We we got signal last year that oh, the coaching staff loves Kenny Gainwell. They're wearing Kenny Gainwell t-shirts at press conferences. Kenny, you know, he's the guy they trust. Like it's it's Kenny Gainwell season. You idiots are drafting Swift way ahead of Gainwell. It's going to be Gainwell. And I for a long time I held pretty firm that like, no, we I'm not getting tricked on this Kenny Gainwell shit again. Like I I know what Kenny Gainwell is. He's, you know, a satellite back plus. He's a change of pace back you know he can he can take some carries and some workload he's never going to be the you know the primary guy in the offense and eventually i i added a little gain well to my position just to to not be so so underweight on him and now in with the hindsight of how the season's played out i'm just wishing i had made the bet on talent on swift and so what i what i want as a takeaway for myself for next year is when there's a running back with elite talent. Like I, I thought DeAndre Swift was an elite talent. I was drafting him in the second round last year, you know, behind an, a Lions offensive line that I thought was one of the best offensive lines in the league. And then Swift goes to the Eagles with another one of the best offensive lines in the league. And I was just barely overweight on him at his ADP, you know, at a substantial discount from where he was. And so if I ever get an opportunity like that again, where the market severely discounts a guy because a run out for a particular season was poor, you know, and his opportunity could change, I'm just going to be really aggressive and hammer it and bet on the talent again. And so I just, I wanted to, to say that to not only remind myself, but uh, hopefully give some other people some alpha for next season. If we, if we get situations like this in the future. Uh, I, I think very often uh, draft season does give us uh, opportunities to uh, to bet on uh, on on discounted talent because they don't like whatever they don't like the points they don't they think some coaching and uh, they think the situation is bad and uh, I think we we will definitely get opportunities like that time and time again um, and and sometimes you just get your you, you get your your face smashed in and people call you an idiot like how, how what kind of idiot didn't realize that swift like just pisses off his coaches doesn't understand how to run behind an o-line won't take his block like there's like that that was all stuff that like was definitely out there and it's i think it's it's really hard to ignore and and i found i found it difficult to ignore at times um I uh, I ended up I ended up slightly probably slightly more overweight than you did, and um, but I, I'm at like sixteen and a half percent. But in 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 hindsight, I'm like, why didn't I have so much more? This is such a clear spot. But stuff like that can be really really difficult to uh, to ignore. I think, um, and 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 just on um on on Swift himself, so he's gonna pick thirty now, which. I think is slightly too cheap. Um, I think he should be he should be a second round back. I think, um, but definitely happy to bet on him in the uh, in the in the middle of the third, um, middle of the third. Uh, <laughs> he's um, la- he's last couple of weeks, last two weeks, um, he's had an average of nine and a half expected points. 
from the running game and an expected five from uh, from receiving game. So actually, sort of like pretty balanced as, as in terms of like rushing and as a receiver, um, and uh, very efficient with his carries. And and what is sort of interesting is that he's actually he's ran bad on touchdowns. So he's uh, he's ran just under just about uh, one touchdown le- less than expected, and, and so like if if you sort of like expect efficiency from uh, from Swift, he could be even better than he's been playing in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, uh, Aaron in the chat has a a good point. He said, "I mean that coaching staff did not trust or like Swift unless we want to consider he was indeed hurt those times. I mean, we we certainly know he was hurt last season." And the other point that I want to make on on coaching staffs is, for the most part, we should probably just assume that most coaching staffs in the NFL are not good. You know, like there's a few that are good, and most of them are not. And so just because they make a decision, uh, I'm I'm sure people have heard the you know the assumption of rational coaching. Like, don't assume these guys are rational. They're not they're not doing rational stuff a lot of the time. And so you get yourself in a, in a trap where you're like, Oh, well, this coaching staff didn't like him. Therefore he's not good. And and so instead it's just, Hey, let's not take the signal of what the coaching staff is telling us. The only, and I think I mentioned this on this show earlier in this, this year, unless a team has really demonstrated for me that they are like significantly above average, they have a a very talented staff in a specific area. Like I, I mentioned the Steelers and, you know, evaluating wide receiver talent, then that's something where I'm willing to lean into that narrative and say, I trust the Steelers to draft good wide receivers. I'll I'll take some shots on Calvin Austin because they liked him. Um, But for the most part, I'm just going to assume that the coaches don't really know what they're doing with respect to, you know, if they do or don't like a player. Um, if there's signal that the player's really talented, I'm just going to bet on talent over what whatever the coach is telling us. So, What helped with Swift as well is that he changed coaching staffs. Like, I, I don't think I'm ever – it's going to be very difficult for me to trust, like, this kind of, like, Swift archetype, like, um, back on, on, the, on the lines just because I feel like – Unless we get much better news on, um, I can't believe I'm blanking on who's the who's the, the second Jameer Gibbs, and um, for the Lions for the rest of the year, I think we're getting pretty good signal here that they, even when they tell us that they love those guys, they don't actually like, they like the idea of them. They don't like the reality of those players, even though they should. Yeah, no, they they were happy to throw away you know an early first round pick on a guy that they're just not they're not going to give anywhere near the opportunity to that he he deserves if, if you're going to spend that much on a guy that better be like a core core part of your offense you think he's a true true difference maker he's the engine um and they're just not using him that way because they're not they're not all that sharp um and, and right the worst the worst thing about that and this is like the Lions are like diet uh, Arthur Smith, right? Like Dan Campbell's diet Arthur Smith. Like at least he has a good offensive coordinator there that they're, you know, they're going to put up a, a function, a much more functional offense than Atlanta. Right. Um, but they're never going to do what actually would be, they're not going to fully unlock the potential of their passing game 
because they're happy to put the ball in Monty's belly, you know, 30 times a game. If, if they get any inkling that they can win a game and give the ball to him 30 times, they are happy to do that. And uh, happy as a pig in shite is what we say. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so, any, anyone else on this chart that you wanted to hit on? No, I, I think, I think we should move on. And okay. So now we move on to the tight end utilization and efficiency chart. And so uh, with tight ends, uh, similar to, uh, to running back, uh, with, the, with some exceptions, a lot of the time uh, what you're looking for is a tight end who's going to run a lot of routes. Uh, you want the ones where they, uh, they have it's the same guy on the field over and over, and they don't ask them to pass block too often. And uh, and that's what we have we, in the green chart. We have their, their, their percentage of team dropbacks where they're running a route. Uh, and then um, we also have their targets per hour run because obviously we don't just want, we don't want the empty calorie routes like Adam Troutman, who's running a route, but doesn't, uh, doesn't get targeted very often at 8% targets per hour run. And then we look at ADOT as well because we do want the targets down the field. Although I, one thing that, that uh, struck me when I was looking at this chart is that these ADOTs are, are just pretty low across the board. feels like this is a low ADOT tight end year. Yeah, and I've, I've heard people talk about that it, it very well could be a product of, you know, the how – how common, you know, too high safeties is becoming. We're using tight ends to attack the shorter areas of the field and less, you know, on those seam routes to, to really attack right. deep. And I, I definitely, I think that there's, there's definitely some, uh, some merit to that theory. Uh, when I, when I look at this chart, I mean, it's, I'm not, not seeing a ton that really is worth, you know, noteworthy, uh, you know, Hey, Mark Andrews is Mark Andrews is good. Oh my gosh. We're all surprised. 20% targets per right. run. And it, one of the I better, I do find it a bit shocking that, uh, given, given all the tiltage on Kyle Pitts, that like his rep rate is like, it, it's, it's, it's number two. And yeah, he's not like, he's not going particularly untargeted. 16% targets per run is not awful. He's getting deep targets, and um, so it's, it feels to me that he doesn't have this awful role. He's just playing on a bad offense. It's, it's yeah. sort of like it's not like the the Falcons could just turn on the switch, and, and and maybe this is more of a negative point than anything. It's not like the the Falcons can turn on the switch, and then it's the call call pit score point switch, like. If, it feels like a lot of this is is more the 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 low production is sort of the function of the offense. Yeah, it's it's systemic for sure. Oh, through four games, Ritter's averaging less than thirty attempts per game, which is not great. He's under seven hundred and fifty yards, so under two hundred yards a game. It's just it's a small pie, you know. And and Kyle Pitts is not even playing tight end. He's he's lining up out wide and in the slot more than he lines up at tight end. And that's why Jonu Smith is out there. Look at Jonu Smith, 22% targets per route run, you know, shorter ADOT than Kyle Pitts because he's operating more like a traditional tight end. For all intents and purposes, Kyle Pitts is the wide receiver two on the Atlanta Falcons. It's, you know, Drake London's the wide receiver one. Kyle Pitts is the wide receiver two. But it's an offense where you don't even want the wide receiver one. 
So, you know, the tight end eligibility is sweet, but to, to me, your, your only prayer with Kyle Pitts now is that you get a random week in the playoffs where he, he gets, you know, two touchdowns and you, you got him as a low advance rate guy because without we're going to need a major change of tune for this Atlanta team for him to pay off his ADP, even though he was not terribly expensive. It, it's really unfortunate. I had, I had been out on Kyle Pitts every year up until this year. I never had, had drank the Kool-Aid and I considered myself lucky for not, you know, falling on the Kyle Pitts grenade when he was going like in the third round. But I thought this year, Oh my gosh, this guy put up like the best rookie tight end season of all time, you know, in the modern NFL. And you're telling me that I can get this guy in like the sixth, seventh, eighth round, even sometimes on DraftKings. Like, okay, I'm all in. And uh, I I got bamboozled this year. Hand up. I, I did it. Got bamboozled. Yeah, it is. It, it's, it's really tough. Um, just because like, because he does have this deep role, it does feel like um, there's at least some chance where um, um, he catches some deep passes and, and puts in some huge games. And it's like every time I look, Kyle Pitts is uh, he's going later. And the other thing is is that uh, so he, right now his ADP is one seventeen. Uh, he's gone right between Hunter Henry and Jake Ferguson. Wow, and <laughs> like obviously, if, if you were drafting uh, Kyle Pitts during regular uh, basketball season, like you you are down horrendous. We are down horrendous. And, yes, <laughs> but it's there's also something there where it's like okay, well, you do have to you do have to put tight ends in your roster, and. He's going in a range now where the scoring is so, so anemic for uh, tight ends um, that it's like, even with the bad Kyle Pitts games, like, so what? He's a tight end. He's going in the uh, anemic uh, tight end range. Where where has um, Sam Laporta's ADP moved to? Sam Laporta is now 52. And he is a tight end four by ADP. Okay. Ahead of George Kittle. Head of uh, Darren Waller, which is pretty uh, pretty appropriate. Yeah, that's appropriate. Yeah, let's let's talk about Darren Waller for a little bit. Is that uh, let's let's just say it's uh, you know the the twelfth round, you know pick pick hundred and forty. You, you even sniffing Darren Waller here? <laughs> um. The twelfth round, one hundred and forty. Uh, yeah, I think so. Okay. Um, just because, like, I guess you are getting it in an, an awful, awful offense. And um, his targets per run last week, seven percent, down from twenty six, eighteen, and twenty two in the three prior weeks. Um, and. It looks it looks pretty bad. It, it it feels pretty bad, and that feels pretty pretty bad. I guess on, on the flip side, is that he is so. If you exclude week one, you're talking like eighty five percent. And root share, you're talking 
like if you I don't want to throw out week four, but if, if you think that 20% is closer to the median, like that's obviously even in an awful offense, that that's really good. So it's like there is there's definitely some value there. And there's and there's some points for him to score, but uh, the market way overplay, oh, way overpriced Waller this year, given the uh, given the issues with the Giants, given his age, and at pick seventy seven, um, I I'm very confident that that's going to go down, um, but still can very confident confidently say that that's not appropriately pricing and the risk. Yeah, I would I would have zero at pick seventy seven and sleep like a baby. Yeah. Zero. Very, very confident zero. And so I don't I I don't think um um I guess I I should point out the Julian Hill. So he only played in uh, week three when uh, Durham Smite um was uh was missing for some reason. Um so wouldn't wouldn't read too much in into that. Um but other than that, I, I don't see anything sort of like new that we haven't talked about in prior weeks here. The only one that I want to hit on now that we have a little more sample for it is Dallas Goddard is just not uh not getting as involved as you you know, he's on the field all the time, but uh the he's not gonna get the opportunities, you know, only 14% targets per route run. When he is getting targeted, I to me that I know the eight out of six that just feels from from watching how he's getting targeted. I feel like his eight is much lower. I I would need to look at uh, the individual data points, but my my guess would be that that's getting boosted up by a couple deeper targets because a lot of the stuff just looks really short for him. I mean, six isn't isn't terribly deep as it is, but. Uh, he's just not super involved down the field. I, you know, the couple times where he's gotten targets, it's like they manufactured stuff for him. It's like little tight end screen or, you know, quick, quick hitter type stuff. So um, definitely, you know, he, Dallas Goddard is, is closer to Kyle Pitts than, uh, than he is, you know, the, the actual elite tight ends. Um, But anyway, that's, that's, that's the last one I needed to, talk about on yeah chart. yeah i think um some of the uh some of that a dot he's only gotten 19 targets this year so like a deep a deep shot will will push that up quite a bit he's on he he only has a, a total of 113 air yards two four games yeah. yeah so you need a substantial i think you've got elite contingent value there in dallas goddard and um, but that is that is it sort of i think yeah it's depressing it, it it does require an injury you're right it's it's only the contingent value there which is is crazy to say you know through through four weeks i feel very confident that i want hunter henry over dallas goddard i feel very confident that i want jake ferguson over dallas goddard you know i like it, it matt just get in a time machine and tell yourself you know in july that sam laporte like people who drafted dallas goddard would trade Sam for Sam Laporta in a heartbeat. Like, you know, they right. you'd pay double for your BBM entry if you were allowed to swap your Dallas Goddard out for Sam Laporta. You'd gladly pay $50 to, to get that. <laughs> like, 
Oh man. That, Crazy game. that is pretty yeah, pretty rough. Um pretty rough. Uh, and 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 no uh, no sh no noise about a squeaky wheel game either. So let's uh, let's move on to the backups. Um Ooh, you know who showed a little life this week that I I mean I need to not this is a warning. This is my my bias for this player. But Noah Fant in his, you know, that one explosive play that he had, that's why I was drafting Noah Fant. Because he could do that, you know. And you just gotta hope that between Will Disley and whoever is it is it is Colby Parkinson the other? Yeah. Yeah, 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 between right. Will Disley and Colby Parkinson, you've got to just hope that Noah Fant's talent wins out. And I know that in Seattle, they've done the whole, like, it's a party, it's everybody gets to play tight end. We all, sh we're sharing friends, you know, no one gets all the work. You just have to hope that Noah Fant makes enough of a case that he can't be kept off the field. Um, the, other, the other problem there, though, before we get too bullish on Noah Fant is... Uh, you know, we're still not seeing anything from JSN, which we'll get to in a little bit, but it's probably probably not worth chasing after Noah Fant, but you know, maybe as like your third tight end. I would assume he's still free in resurrection, but um I'd be glad to have him as my third tight end and take a shot on that. Uh probably only stacked with Gino or or, or at the very least correlated with the Pittsburgh bring back for week seventeen. Um but I, I think that was worth pointing out. I mean, Jake Ferguson continues to to do Jake Ferguson things. He's getting a ton of targets. Uh, I even even with you know not being on the field all the time, that's still a tight end that's worth having. Uh, just so many targets. And when when Tony Pollard isn't getting those uh, those green zone touches, there's a decent chance that you're getting a random Jake Ferguson green zone target. So. Yeah, uh, makes uh, makes sense. Um, oh, there's there's one more here. Um, Gerald Everett actually starts to become interesting because uh, Donald Parham, uh, who some affectionately refer to as Big Dick Donnie, uh, did. It looked like he came down pretty hard on his wrist. I'm not. I haven't seen. I haven't looked into how serious the injury is. Um, but I've got to imagine when you're a man as as big as Donald Parham and you put all your weight on your wrist. Um, it's probably not great, uh, but I, I don't think he'll be out for a long time, but maybe it's just like a one, one or two week little, uh, you know, little spike in usage. Maybe Gerald Everett gets a little bit more. Um, that's probably more like a DFS thing than anything. Yeah. Like I was about to su su suggest that, that uh, I, I'm, I, I'm looking up the salary now, but that oh, he's on, feels he's like on buy this week. So you'd need, you'd need Donnie. Oh. to. Uh, yeah, you need Donnie to miss another week. Um, and then you also need Justin Herbert's uh, broken finger on his non-throwing hand to not really negatively impact the production. So it's probably too something, thin. Something to look at for. Yeah, keep an eye on it. Makes, uh, makes sense. Makes sense for sure. Uh, yeah, uh, not not seeing a whole a lot else here. Um uh, Jake Ferguson, obviously, love to see this kind of like high uh, targets per hour run, uh, and and hope that the uh, the routes come up. But it does sound like the uh, the Cowboys have no intention of uh, of splitting up those tight end routes differently because they like having uh, 
I think you said on a previous uh, episode that uh, they like having lots of people involved. So I'm going to move on just so we have time for these uh, yep. receive, receiver charts. Um, and so this is a little bit different to the rest of our charts. We've got um, weighted targets per route run on um, the horizontal axis. And, and weighted targets per route run, it's like tar targets per route run, but air yards is, is like it's a component of it where um you're basically you're saying that targets down the field matter more and so the guys on the right are not just getting targeted at a high rate they're getting targeted down the field at a high rate and then uh, pretty simply we've got fantasy points per game on uh, on the vertical axis and these are all the first chart is all guys with 85 to 100 percent routes run so these are all the locked in, almost every down starters. And then in the top right, we've got guys playing locked in all, almost every down, dominating targets, scoring lots of fantasy points. You, you, want your, you want your draft picks to be in the top right of our chart here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, saw a little bit. I mean, like, I guess trending in the right direction for Jamar Chase, like he's He's getting targets, but the offense looks really poor. So he's he's still, you know, he, he hasn't made his way up to that top right corner, but he is in the top right quadrant at least now. Um, Christian Kirk uh, began moving a little bit further down the uh, weighted targets per route run uh, access there. And then Calvin Ridley, uh, is starting to fade into the uh, he's not, he's not all the way down into the melt carton part of the chart yet, but he's in the quadrant where the melt carton boys live. Um, and he's just been missing. So I'm, if I were, his friends are ringing on his mom's doorbell. Can, can the Calvin Ridley come out and play? Yeah. And, and if I were a Calvin Ridley drafter, I wouldn't be so concerned. Like, I don't think that he's, he's certainly not dead. You know, he's running tons of routes. He's out there. But uh, I just I view it as everyone in this offense will get a turn. You know, Christian Kirk's going to have a week. Calvin Ridley's going to have a week. Zay Jones going to have a week. Every once in a while, you'll get an Evan Ingram week. But they're all going to take a turn. And uh, yeah, I, I would uh, wouldn't wouldn't totally panic on Calvin Ridley. But like the the ADP that we saw at the end of the summer was not efficient for him. Yeah. Yeah, super bad. Uh, you are talking about pretty uh, a good knock rate. I think we're looking at a good knock rate NFL receiver. Um, yep. Is, is what the data is telling us. And so now you're never going to believe is is a resurrection ADP is still at pick 23. Hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. It's because he started so high. He started at like the one-two turn, and the market is just – bad at you know guy guys get anchored um it just yeah the the lower on the extremes guys that are so low you know move up too slow and guys that are really too high move move down too slow it really feels like to me the guys in the middle are the ones that can move closer to efficient um than the guys that are so in the extremes let me ask you calvin ridley or amari cooper I'll take Ridley. Okay. Um, Calvin Ridley or Brandon Ayuk? Uh, 
That one's close. It's probably, uh, if they're going right next to each other, then it's the one where I'm going to, I'll do some of both. Okay. And Ayuk uh, goes about a half around later. Oh, and... okay. Then I, I'd have more Ayuk than Ridley probably, but just slightly. Like I'm not, I, I wouldn't like be taking Ayuk aggressively over Ridley, but I'd probably end up with more Ayuk than Ridley if that makes sense. Calvin Ridley or Garrett Wilson? Garrett Wilson. Garrett Wilson is now going pick 49. Cool. Good, good buying opportunity. You're just, we, we talked about it when we did the draft. And I mean, we're, we're down bad on our Garrett Wilson cost there. But uh, you, you, we don't want to draft for what's happening right now in this exact moment. We're trying to draft for the rest of the season from week six onward. And so the, the outcomes for Garrett Wilson are Zach Wilson continues to suck. Okay, if Zach Wilson keeps being really bad, like the the Chiefs game was just a total anomaly. He's never, that's his best game he's going to have this season. He is not going to remain the quarterback for the whole season. And and then when you're looking at when Garrett Wilson gets a better quarterback, it's going to be later in the season and in the most important weeks, in the playoff weeks where all the money is. So that's like, to me, it feels like a smash for Garrett Wilson at pick 49. And then in the outcomes where Zach Wilson remains the quarterback for the whole season, it's because he looks more like Zach Wilson against the Chiefs did, where he's not, you know, he's not a world beater, but he is throwing the ball to his best player. He's giving giving his playmakers a chance to make a play. And he had a couple really good throws in that game. It wasn't just like, uh, you know, I don't want to get here and stand Zach Wilson too hard, but yeah, the it's a huge overreaction to have Garrett Wilson going after Calvin Ridley, in my opinion. Agree, agree. And so you can you can sort of see uh, Garrett Wilson. He is in he's in this section of the chart where uh, right next to Chase, he's literally right next to Chase in the chart, where he's getting targeted at a high r- r- rate. He's on the field all the time. The, the, the points aren't there because of Zach Wilson inefficiency. And, but that's, it's, that's, this is pretty clearly a situation where, and, and, and you gave the more particular one, but it's a situation that we're talking about where you have this extreme, extreme talent where you're getting a discount because of the situation. And I uh, like talent doesn't really change that much. Like, barring injury and stuff like that but situation can change in an instant like i i I don't want to like make this sound like more lucky than it is but the um the the jets gm could be on the phone right now could be at this very moment talking to somebody about um trading for a quarterback for like a quarterback that could start for them and that's an instantly an upgrade like he's probably not but like stuff like this happens, like the NFL changes on a dime, and, and so I always want to be taking players where the the extreme talent is there, and it, it just takes a small change in situation for to to unlock a lot of value. Yeah, very very well said. Um, and then we we touched on this guy earlier when we weren't on the wide receiver charts, but uh, you know with how he plays with his quarterback, and that's Chris Olave, you know former college teammate. Of Garrett Wilson, and they're they're right along, you know, same level of fantasy point per game production. Olave is getting even more weighted targets per route run, 
And uh, I just think that you're going to, you know, in season long, you might have a good opportunity to acquire Olave. I'd try and go do that if you can. It's the same way that I described, like, playing Derek Carr and the whole Saints passing right. offense. You just wait, wait this and week. Dip, and we want to buy it. Yeah, wait, wait this week and then attack. Ag- aggressively go after it. So Makes sense for sure. And we already touched on the uh, the Falcons, but very alarming to see Drake London in the loser part of the uh, the chart. And uh, just very alarming because he should re- he should be sort of like able to concentrate targets on the field. And the fact that he's not uh, in like that kind of offense is is a pretty significant alarm bell. I think I've got a got an interesting question for you here. I've heard a lot of people talk about Tyler Boyd as a good waiver ad, you know, with, with T Higgins broken ribs, you know, probably going to miss a couple weeks or if he does play, like, is he really going to be able to, to be out there for a lot of snaps? So I've heard a lot of people talk up Tyler Boyd as, you know, his opportunity could increase, uh, you know, maybe that's a good waiver ad. What do you think uh, of that? Are you, are you buying the, the Tyler Boyd opportunity increase here? Um. So Tyler Boyd, it, it it sort of like it's funny because if um if I thought Joe Burrow was healthy, I would, I totally would be buying uh, the uh, uh, the increased opportunity. I think that Tyler Boyd is like a pretty good player, and um, and that um the fact that he's now the second best receiver there, like. Uh, I, I I sort of do expect um, better things for Tyler Boyd, um, but um, it it's like well it's better things, but in an offense that's really really struggling. Like I, I I'm maybe putting more uh, weight on um, on the Joe Burrow injury um, than maybe I should be, um, but. I do think there. I'm putting a lot of stock in the in the like really low depth of target for Burrow, and the, the anemic uh, performance, and it's like yes, I think he's going to get higher opportunity, but unless it's PPR, like and, and, and even in PPR, like what's that like six targets where he gets forty yards and and, and low chance of a touchdown. So he's probably your ten points guy, and uh, it's like maybe that's a plug and play, and and, and you hope that you get that you you rack up those catches, um. But I I I I need uh, I need Burrow to be playing much better for uh, for for uh, Boyd to interest me. So here's a you know quick quick waiver decision. Probably both these players uh, available in a lot of leagues. Um, Tyler Boyd or Jamison Williams off waivers? Um, I, I'm, I'm more interested in Jameson. Yeah, me too. Um, I mean, it, it, it's like it's hard to be overly confident in Jameson um, given his, uh, his preseason struggles and, and like lack of production last year. Um, but you're, you're just you're still talking about somebody who was like the best player. The best receiver for Alabama uh, on like a a, a a a team stacked with five star recruits 
who immediately like uh, was a huge part of their offense, very important. Um, elite speed. It it, it it does it. He does feel like a, a much stronger bet than than Tyler Boyd. That's for sure. Yeah, because it's not about the confidence you have in Jamison Williams versus the confidence you have in Tyler Boyd. Like Tyler Boyd produces for you at a higher frequency, you know, but the range of outcomes for Jamison, like Tyler Boyd's range of outcomes, we know exactly what it is, right? We know what Tyler Boyd is. We know what his best games look like. We know what his, you know, mean outcomes look like. For Jamison Williams, no matter how... Uh Uh-oh. Well, we lost Draco here, so uh, <laughs> we'll uh, we'll continue. Um, but we we know what Boyd is for Jamison Williams. The range of outcomes is still unknown. We, we don't know what he is, so we can. Uh, Sorry, <laughs> you're you're okay. I I think it's clearly a, an opportunity to take the bet on the guy with the wider range of outcomes. And when you win, it's a big win. And when you miss, whatever you missed out on Tyler Boyd or or you know waiver equivalent. Um, I, I didn't have anyone else on this chart that I felt like we needed to spend time on. Did you? No, no. We can uh, uh, move on. Um, I, I guess Dotson continued to be concerning, uh, but we've talked about that before. Uh, more saying like a continuation of the trend that we were talking about. So maybe slightly more concerning that he's just not able to get uh, this kind of concentrated targets on the field. Um, so it doesn't feel great there. I'm I, I'm getting inc- increasingly more concerned with Johan Dotson. Yeah. So moving on. So these are still starters. Uh, so 70 to 85% roots run. Um, but maybe guys where they're, they're, they're not pure. They're not like 100% root runners. Um. Tyreek, as ever, he like defines this chart where he uh, he he's a little bit older, so he does take some uh, some plays off, but like completely like ninety percent uh, weighted targets per run is insane. Twenty five points per game, very good. And uh, love seeing Brandon Ayuk here, where he's like clearly the team's uh, per, like preferred deep uh, threat and he's been able to convert that into into points and um, so that is that uh, that is great to see for brandon i drafters i think and yeah then, absolutely and i mean nico nico collins continuing to be a huge value where he was drafted delivering legitimate spike weeks really exciting uh mike evans exited with a, a hamstring injury but I mean, for anyone drafting Mike Evans, it's been a huge win so far this season. You know, Baker has been more than competent, able to produce for him. Uh, from what I've heard, the hamstring isn't super serious. So, if, you know, in a season long where you can trade, if uh, if you can get Mike Evans for cheap because someone's worried about the hamstring and maybe they just don't think it's sustainable, uh, maybe, maybe go and grab him there. Um, you know who... Uh, I, I may need to capitulate on already. Um, Michael Wilson, I think in, in week one, might've been week one or week two, I said something to the effect of uh, Michael Wilson was a figment of our imagination, you know, big best ball just made him up uh, to trick you into spending your last round pick. 
on a guy with a made-up name. Uh, no, he was out there. <laughs> he was out there uh, in force, you know, uh, running lots of routes. Mike Townsend is out in the NFL scoring touchdowns. Yes, he is. Two of them. Uh, and <laughs> yeah, he, I mean, he was as advertised, man. He's a big body guy. They, they seem to like him. Um, yeah. I mean, if you're drafting Michael Wilson, you gotta be happy with that already. I mean, that's basically already paid off his ADP. So definitely, uh, gotta, gotta capitulate on that one. Um, the and other dogs here is super interesting. I think where, now he's uh, he's above he's been above eighty five percent routes run week three and four and twenty six percent targets per route uh, per route and we tree thirty five percent in week four like very firmly in the top right maybe not up with hanging out with Ayuk and um, but seems like he's emerging as like uh, maybe not a star but like top quality NFL player. I'm I'm still uh, I'm hesitant to buy it from Dubs. I I think it's it would be not too difficult for because uh, I don't think as as far as a talent level he's you I I don't know if he belongs in this area of the chart. I don't think he's a Nico Collins or a Brandon Ayuk or certainly not a Mike Evans or Tyree Kill level talent. Um, you know, I mean, shoot, there's lots of guys on this chart that I, I would take any day over him or he's he's looking better with where he's at. But I, I even think, and on the next chart, we'll see his teammate, Jaden Reed. I, I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of the season, Reed has has stolen more work away from Dubs. I, I think that it's, it's going to follow that traditional rookie receiver trajectory where it takes, you know, Reed's going to have to earn more and more targets. He's going to earn more routes, earn time on the field. Um, and eventually be able to take over that role from dubs. And we still have the variable of Christian Watson in there who wasn't, didn't seem like he was fully healthy. didn't play a full complement of snaps, didn't get a ton of targets. So this, the Packers situation is really interesting to me. It's definitely one to watch. Um, I'm, I'm not entirely decided how it would play it. I think I might be biased because I really like Jaden Reed as a prospect and I was not sold on Christian Watson, but I, I, I I'm a bit curious going? what your, uh, um, what your, uh, what was concerning for you in, uh, Romeo dubs is, uh, talent sort of like profile because th these are pretty, these are pretty good numbers, like double digits targets and like high targets per run and, and seems to be converting it decently well and um, yeah i i think it's more that he's just uh he's a beneficiary of circumstance here there someone you know if the offense is going to go out and not put up zero yards someone's got to catch some passes right like in christian watson's gone and it's rookie Jaden reed and romeo dubs and gosh i i can't even what what are some of the other uh Samari Toure, like, yeah, the like, Arsenal center half. <laughs> yeah, so like, uh, I I think for me, my concern with Dubs is less about what he's been doing so far this season. It's more about like his his prospect profile coming out of college. He's a sub athlete, you know. Uh, his his production in college was just okay. Um, you know, he's sixty fourth percentile college dominator. Uh, 
you know, not didn't didn't play against world beating competition, went to Nevada, you know, later draft pick, late late fourth round, did have a decent breakout age, but for me, I don't know. I, I didn't think that Dubs was anything particularly special as a prospect. And so maybe I'm anchored too much to that and I'm I'm counting that more than I should, and I should be paying more attention to his production in the NFL against NFL caliber talent. But I just think it's uh I think there's opportunity to be won in this offense. There's there's target share to be had. And I don't know that he's going to be able to hold off. You know, if you gave me dubs against the field where the field is all the other Packers receiving options, I'm going to take the field. I'll take, you know, Luke Musgrave, Christian Watson, Jaden Reed. I don't think that dubs has such a stranglehold on that. He's going to be the guy to own in this offense. So that's that's all. But I where, where is he going in resurrection? Let's uh, let's find out. So we're looking for dubs. He is going to pick eighty-five. Eighty-five. And what about Reed and uh, and Musgrave? Reed is going one twenty-one. Okay. Musgrave is going. Uh, sorry, one second. I had to filter down the receivers. Uh, Musgrave is going uh, pick 101. Or sorry, 132, I should say. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, gosh. I mean, I, I guess you're not getting such a large discount on uh, on Reed then that I, I probably just spread the bets around the offense and probably just I, I would assume is Christian Watson still going way too expensive? Um. Christian Watson uh, is going, um, he's going 45. So yes. Disgusting. Yeah. Okay. So I'd have 0% Christian Watson and I'd be overweight Reed, probably neutral dubs and probably neutral on Musgrave. So yeah, I, I, um, I do think it's interesting when, um, um, Prospects are like, like just for, to go back to Dubs. I know that uh, lots of analysts uh, did rate uh, Dubs like decently high, um, and then he's a sec. He, he, like it's not like he's a vet, and like this is like some like fourth year breakout, and it's two games or whatever. He's a second year player, which is traditionally when most receiver breakouts happen. Like that, that is the biggest jump for receivers. And so that that's sort of why I'm uh, I'm buying it a, a little bit more than you, and uh, but definitely get that like, um, the Dominator rating was not a was not special, and he was a four year starter in Michigan, so definitely definitely get the uh, the pushback there. Um, and anybody Reed, else? Reed was Reed was Michigan. Dubs was Nevada. Um, but uh, did I say Michigan? Yeah, but but you're you're actually you're getting me to come around a little more on dubs. I, I think I might I I'm just uh yeah, I, I'm probably anchored too much to my priors. I should uh, I should come around on dubs a little bit. If I'm if I'm that low on Christian Watson, should probably just come around on them, unless I'm really just saying that this is one of those offenses like we talked about where it's not gonna be an offense that produces. But I think that they're I think they're play calling, I think they're you know, they're they're gonna do enough to Right at their prices. I agree. There, there's enough going on in Green Bay that you will want a piece or two. 
so this chart is a uh, it's it's a little bit hard to make out um just because some of these players bunch so close together and uh, we've got Jerry Judy here he's just over she's just north of 50% and uh, weighted targets per run um and just under 10 points a game um which doesn't it doesn't feel great going at his cost it's not awful coming off the injury but it definitely it doesn't feel great um based on his cost i'm uh, i'm starting to get a, a smidge concerned with that uh, with judy there yeah the the thing with that this chart doesn't incorporate in the weighted targets per route run is the amount of dog in the player and jerry judy has exactly zero dog for anyone that didn't watch that Broncos Bears game, and I don't blame you for not watching it. Um, there was a play that got me to swear off ever drafting a single share of Jerry Judy again for as long as he's an NFL player. And hand, I'm just gonna. This is a hill I'm gonna die on. Hand to God, I I've drafted my last Jerry Judy share, but it's a it's a play where Russ has bought some time in the pocket. It's gotten extended a little bit. And Judy has beat his man downfield. He is, he's got separation. He's about to blow by the safety. And the safety doesn't really take the correct angle to be able to, to cover him. Uh, Russ lets it rip. And this just looks like either an easy completion. This is, you know, Russ does this all day. You know, moonshot, deep ball, right into the arms of his receiver. Easy peasy, you know. And the safety the angle that he took he was going to collide with judy on the route as long as judy kept running and he's got a right to the ball he can he can just keep running and let the safety collide with him get the pi call easy 50 yard chunk you know and the offense needed it they were they were down to the bears at that point they hadn't got much going and instead of finishing his route he just pulled up and just like capitulated and said, ah, uh, I don't really want to run in to this defender. That sounds not fun. And I'm good off that. I don't need my receiver. Your weighted targets per route run don't actually mean anything. If on half of those targets, you're just giving up because you're scared of getting hit. Like I'm good off of that. I don't need any Jerry Judy, probably an emotional overreaction. Don't act. This is not actionable. Don't, don't pay attention to me, but I'm never drafting Jerry. Yeah. Judy again. Not at not financial advice. <laughs> I mean, just just to, to to provide some pushback on that, um, you do have this thing where he was the most talented player on like a, a loaded, loaded Alabama team. Like he has been solid as an NFL receiver, and hasn't quite worked out um so far, but um, pick seventy seven. And um, in resurrection, so probably just a, a sm efficient to a smidge, and um, over. Well, you know, I I I think that's that's probably about right, and 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 that's probably a, about right. And uh, given that the uh, the the Broncos' offense has been able to uh, to put up points, their defense sucks, so they're going to be in, in in shootouts or in in catch up mode every week. Um, but that definitely, definitely a little bit concerning, um, that, uh, he's, uh, he's, he, he, I guess 
he hasn't been able to put up points and, and he hasn't been able to earn targets over uh, Sutton in a way that I was sort of like expecting. But totally, um, totally understand the uh, the lack of dog uh, point. Um, so who else have we got here? I, I, I don't think anybody like really stands out here. Um, you do see DeAndre Hopkins um, right out here, but it's it's like it's not even that useful because he's only scoring ten points. It's more of a sign of it, it feels like more of a sign that the uh, the Tex, te, uh, Titans uh, passing game is just anemic and and, and sort of non functional. That somebody can be at eighty percent way to targets per run and ten points a game. Yeah, you're you're only you're out there to DeAndre Hopkins being really useful is that somehow the Titans get it together and and get a good passing offense, which seems thin. Yeah, and and, and like we talked about last week, actually, in like seeing Traylon Burks come out here on the way to targets per run, but again, um, you need a you need functional uh, passing game for this to uh, for this to to be useful. Any anybody else you you want to talk about here before you move on to the last chart? Uh no, I think we can can go to the last yeah. chart here. So super spread out here, uh, which makes it much easier to read. Um a little bit interesting that Christian Watson, um even on limited routes, um what what we got 40 to 50% uh, routes run. He's um he's still sub fifty percent weighted targets per run, so I think I think that's somewhat interesting in that um part of like what made him hit so well last year was that he um got a really high weighted targets per run. He was um he he was getting lots of down the field shots last year, where it doesn't feel like. Because normally on, on on these starters, uh, and and maybe it is maybe it is just a hamstring injury, and he's been worked back. But when when you have uh, when you have guys with low uh, root shares, you see um, them want them to really get involved in those limited roots. So I I think that is like that, that's something to watch. That uh, that low number for um, Christian Watson. Yeah, the uh, the guy I was really interested in this week. I mean, everyone else on this chart kind of was, uh, you know, business as usual. But the guy that I was really excited about was Wandale. Uh, the Giants have a terrible offense. It looks real. They've had two good quarters of offense, and it was against the Cardinals. Uh, so they need something, right? They, like they have to mm-hmm. figure something out. And Wandale looks like hands down the best player on their offense like uh, i don't think it's very close i think he's you know far and away the best player on the offense with saquon off the field um yeah and so i i, I think love seeing him at, he's 64 percent root share last night or yeah uh, last i night. think i think that only goes up from here yeah as he's working back from the acl he's the kind of guy where i'm much more excited about him in ppr uh i just think he's He's the type of guy that racks up a lot of targets. Um, I don't think he's going to operate, you know, terribly deep down the field. But uh, in in the Giants' quest this offseason to collect all of the slot receivers, 
maybe they were collecting them all to just be able to siphon their life force into Wandale Robinson's <laughs> knee to heal him because he is the only worthwhile receiver on this team that I want for fantasy. Yeah, I agree. And, and for him to be on um, on, on on this like 50% uh, way to targets per run um, with uh, his average depth of target was four in week three and two in week four. So he's definitely like sort of like a target and, and yak machine. Um, and, and like doing that very well. So I would say definitely priority, like sort of like waiver pickup, probably not getting him in the main anymore. Um, but in in um, maybe less competitive leagues, uh, PBR leagues would be very, very interested in, in, in one though. Yep. hundred uh, percent. Really, really excited. When I, when I look at a best ball roster, when I'm just, uh, you know, checking out the bags and I see Wandale on there at the end of the roster, I'm like, Oh yeah, that's, <laughs> that's going to be a fun one to watch. We'll put a pin in that one. Um, but yeah, uh, other, I'm just going to do some quick hitters here uh, before we wrap up. Uh, obviously, you know, Bateman missing, uh, pretty concerning. Uh, I am very worried about the Ravens offense. And and I know we had talked about Bateman and, and being optimistic for him. I'm starting to get concerned. Um, if you're going to get anything from Bateman, it kind of looks to me like it's going to be one of those later in the season things where maybe he does come back and, and gives us, you know, those flashes that we saw from those, first couple games from him of his career where he, you know, ripped off those huge breakaway touchdown plays or the deep shots. But that's one where uh, I'm definitely legitimately concerned for Bateman. Now JSN is uh, just, they refuse to throw him the ball downfield at all. When drew lock got in the game, they finally like threw him the ball farther than two yards past the line of scrimmage. I think once, um, but that's one I where, think- I, I, I actually um, think Jackson, uh, JSN, is a little bit interesting in that uh, uh, last night he had a 75% root share, which is up from the 60 to 65 he had before. So you, you do have a, a slight bump there. Um, 24% targets per run, uh, only 29 air yards. So, like, uh, you want to, like, you don't want to get over your skis or anything like that. But – I almost wonder if, like, there's a breakout game, and maybe this is a breakout game coming for JSN that we didn't see last night because it was such a blowout, and and, and we just didn't see that many. Uh, we only saw uh, 28 dropbacks for the Seahawks last night, and I, I almost wonder if um, he is actually emerging, but we didn't see it last night because it was such a blowout win for them. But on the other hand, maybe that was because they were so were so far ahead. They were giving the rookies some run out. Um, but I almost think there is some sign of life there. That that's good context. And, and yeah, I mean, he had even prior to last week, he'd been trending in the right direction. It's just it feels, and, and this is the kind of thing where you just got to try and remain even keel on it and not overreact and get too emotional about it. But it just feels like it's happening so slowly for him when you see guys yeah. like tank like tank Dell is coming out here and it's like I think JSN is like 
twice the player that Tank Dell will ever be. And it's like, why can't we get JSN involved like that? You know, like you, you see these other rookie wide receivers, Puka Nakua is out here breaking records. And it's like, yeah, I mean, JSN has like not to take anything away from how spectacular Puka has been, but JSN has more talent in his broken wrist than Puka has in his entire body. And it's like, can we please get this guy the ball? Um, yeah. So it's just, it's, it's easy to get frustrated with uh, how long it's taking, but I think you made good points that it, it's, it has always been moving in the right direction. It's not like we're seeing him like start to lose work or, or get benched right. or anything like that. But the, it's, the, to me, the most frustrating. He could have one is, big week and never look back. We yeah, just, we're oh, not seeing it right now. A, a, absolutely, you're you're 100 right. It to me, it just it feels so far away because it's not only does he need to start getting more targets, more snaps, more routes. He also probably needs them to start coming farther down the field. Like there's only so much. I mean, shit. Look at Jamar Chase. Like all of hit. You know, I, I would say. You know, we're, we're excited about JSN's talent. I don't think he's Jamar Chase. And, and Chase is getting all these, like, nothing, you know, burger targets just short at the line of scrimmage because mm-hmm. they can't push the ball down the field. And, like, it's okay, but he's getting a lot of volume to make anything fantasy relevant happen. And so that's my biggest concern is, like, maybe we do eventually start to get him getting more volume, but it's like, okay, and then now we've got to wait for them to start deploying him further down the field. So it, it feels really far away, but I bet you the truth is probably somewhere in the middle between how, how we feel about it, where I'm, I'm starting to be the doom and gloom about all my JSN bags. And you're over here a little more on the copium side of things, but reality is probably right. right down the middle of that. So, right. I, I, and I mean, I'm not like, I, I'm not uh, ignorant of like, listen, he needs to score points. He needs to make plays, needs to score touchdowns. And, just, just want to be that there is some positive sign. That we're just not, uh, we're just, we're not seeing the the good production yet. And and, and so in resurrection, he's gone to one, pick a one oh nine, and it's like, oh my god, like that's like get it up, get it I, I, I want to draft so much JSN at one oh nine. Yeah, because that's isn't that right around where Garrett Wilson was going last year during like no, not during yeah. resurrection, but during yeah, and so that's yeah. Yeah, you, you get it all. Okay, so I just I either need to resign myself to losing just double the amount of money on Kendra Miller and JSN, <laughs> or I need to not draft any resurrection. And so I'm gonna gonna have to do some thinking about that. <laughs> Bankroll management. Yeah. Um, well, I I feel like we covered everyone we needed to on uh, on this chart. Yeah. And uh, we, we kept it a little tighter this week, uh, you know, under two and a half hours. So we're, we're trying to get you guys uh, the content in a digestible amount of time. But uh, for, shout for out those, to everybody listening on two and a half X speed. Yeah. Uh, for those of you that hung with us the whole time and you're here live, thank you. We, we appreciate you. Uh, hope that you got some value uh, from what we shared tonight in the charts. And uh with that, we'll, we'll see you next week. See you next week. Thanks for, uh, thanks for tuning in, folks.